0: Welcome to the serialized audiobook Pandemic, Book Three of the Infected Trilogy. Written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Pandemic is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsiglercom pandemic.
1: Chapter 51 The Selection Process In the deepest points of Lake Michigan, the water temperature remained steady at just a few degrees above the freezing point. The intense cold hadn't stopped the apoptosis chain reaction from affecting the Los Angeles' dead crew, but it had slowed the process enough so that plenty of rotting meat remained on their bones. Meat, for example, that was on the severed leg of one wicked Charlie Petrovsky. When the platypus ground its way past that leg, slimy flesh sloughed off onto the machine's acoustic foam covering. This coating of partially rotted tissue contained thousands of cyst-encased neutrophils. As the platypus returned from its mission, the regular mechanical vibrations of its fins and inner workings caused the neutrophils to come out of hibernation. The microscopic organisms shed their cyst coats and prepared for the touch that might give them a host. When Cooper Mitchell. Jeff Brockman, Jose Lucero, Steve Stanton, and Beau Pan worked to secure the platypus to the deck. Charlie's slime smeared onto exposed skin. The neutrophils found their new homes. The five men had no idea what had happened. They had no idea what was coming next. The neutrophils secreted chemicals to make microscopic fissures in the host's skin, then slid through those fissures, penetrating deep inside the little bits of crawling infection sought out stem cells, tore them open, and read the DNA within. It was there, at that initial point of analysis, that the neutrophils chose the role of each host. One host had a genetic disposition for increased size, significant height, heavy bone density, above normal muscle mass. So the crawlers in that host programmed stem cells for one of the two new designs. Another host's genes showed significant indicators for high intelligence, extremely high intelligence. For this host, the neutrophils chose the other new design, a design that would be the true masterpiece of the long-lost orbital's bioengineering efforts. The neutrophils rapidly changed their form, shedding cellulose to become a microorganism made from normal human proteins. Then they converted stem cells to produce millions of copies of themselves. From there, all would head straight for the host's brain. The genetic makeups of the final three men were unremarkable. They were normal. For those three, the crawlers chose between three random options. These men would become a kissy face, turning to a hatchling factory or swell up with gas, soon to pop and spread the infection wherever their spores would reach. In 24 hours, one of the hosts would become contagious. In 48 hours or so, all of the host's brains would start to change. Sometime past 72 hours of incubation, they would start to recognize each other, realize that they were all members of a new species, a species above and beyond humanity. Roughly 96 hours after infection, in just four days, they would not only recognize each other, they would start to work together. Work together to spread. Chapter 52. Day 5. A Little Prick. Margaret slowly awoke. Darkness, save for the lights of medical equipment. She lay on her back, blankets pulled up to her chest. She started to rise, but a body-wide ache froze her in place. Oh, man, she said. The last time she'd felt like this was the day after her first boxer-sized class, everything hurt. This was what she got for years of sitting on her ass. But at least her muscles had served her well enough to get out. She was alive, which was more than could be said for most of the poor souls on that task force fleet. She was in what looked like yet another trailer. A kind of trailer, anyway. This one was small, barely big enough for two field hospital beds. Cardio-respiratory monitors, ventilators, a rack of IV pumps, a spotlight and compact cabinets packed with supplies. An IV line ran into her arm. A man lay on the other bed. She didn't recognize him. Margaret did, however, recognize the wound area. This was the seal she and Tim had worked on. They had saved this man's life. That felt good. It seemed ridiculous to feel that way, considering the hundreds of bodies now at the bottom of Lake Michigan. And yet, it mattered. She slid her hospital gown down over her shoulder. As she'd suspected, not that bad of a wound at all. Eight stitches. Could have been so much worse. Could have been, and probably was. She'd been exposed. She might test positive in a day or two, possibly even less considering she didn't know how long she'd been asleep. Margaret flipped the blanket from her leg, looked at her thigh. It had been neatly dressed. Black ink on the white bandage. Was that writing? She slowly lifted her leg for a closer look. For a good time, call Tim. Margaret laughed, and even that hurt. The trailer door opened. A man stepped in. He wore fatigues printed with a pixelated digital pattern of gray, black, and blue. Nice-looking man. Pale, pink skin, a heavy jaw and a chin that would have got him work in Hollywood were it not for his beady eyes which seemed to be just a bit too close together. His right eye had a bruise under it. The man shut the door. He took off his camo hat and held it behind himself with both hands. He stood between the beds, mostly because there wasn't enough space to really stand anywhere else. He stared at her, as if he expected her to know who he was. Hello, Margaret said. Is there something I can do for you? He smiled. He smiled. Don't recognize me without my makeup. The voice brought it home. It was the seal who had yanked her out of the water, covered her body with his own as bullets rained down around them. Klimas, wasn't it? He nodded. Yes, ma'am. Commander Pollius Klimas. How are you feeling? Sore. He nodded. I can imagine. You went through quite an ordeal. I have a message for you from Director Longworth. He sends his best and said that Dr. Ching is making excellent progress cultivating the yeast. He also said you're to rest and that he'll video conference with you tomorrow. Which you can do right from the Coronado, by the way. Ah, that's where she was. I don't remember coming aboard. You passed out. Right after you and Dr. Feely. Klimas nodded to the unconscious man in the hospital bed. Stabilized Levinson here. Passed out? blood loss, fatigue, concussive damage, shock, stress, probably a combination of all of it. How is Dr. Feely? Fine, Klimas said. He treated your leg. He was rather insistent about it actually. He's been sleeping ever since. Agent Otto is awake though and he asked about you. Would you like me to bring him in? Why, so he can whisper more lies about how he loves me. Tell him I'm fine. I don't want to see him. How long have I been out? About sixteen hours, ma'am. That word, ma'am, it made her instantly feel old. Call me Margaret, please. Do I look like a ma'am to you? He shrugged. Except for the people under my command, every woman is a ma'am, and every man is a sir. It's not my fault I was raised right. And please call me Paulius. She nodded once. Very well. Polyus, I want to thank you and your men for rescuing us. It might not mean much, but I owe you. If I can repay your bravery, I will. He laughed lightly. (laughs) That's odd. I was just about to say the same thing to you. He nodded toward the unconscious Levinson. He'd be dead if it wasn't for the bravery of you and Dr. Feely. Margaret felt suddenly uncomfortable, embarrassed, our bravery? You came in like something out of a movie. I'd have drowned without you. Or been shot or blown up. Or burned. Take your pick. Klimas shook his head. When the bullets fly, most people hide behind us. Trust me, I've done this before. Margaret, you took a bullet. Then under enemy fire, you and Dr. Feely saved my man's life. That's behavior I would have expected from a trained SEAL, not a civilian. She knew a man like Klimas wouldn't make light of comparing someone to a seal. His words seemed to make her more aware of the ache in her thigh. I didn't get shot. Well, I did, but... Are you a Monty Python fan? Klimas smiled. Tis just a flesh wound. She nodded. You got shot. End of story. He grew serious, leaned forward just a bit. His eyes carried a certain coldness. Commander Polyus Klimas was polite, sure, but he was still trained to take life whenever ordered. You saved one of ours. If you need us, we'll be there. His intensity frightened her. These weren't just words. She knew that if she was in trouble, this man would kill for her.
2: Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. shopify.com slash realm
1: Klima stood straight smiled the moment of gravitas was over besides I know you're a fighter he pointed to the bruise under his right eye she remembered lashing out her elbow hitting something her face flushed red I did that? First shiner I've had in years. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. He laughed. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Is there anything I can do for you? Anything you need? She was hungry. A sandwich would be good. I'll get food in here for you right away. Anything else? Margaret gestured to the small trailer around them. What is this room? It's called a mission module. Instead of building everything in as a permanent part of the ship, the Coronado has space for modules that serve different purposes. This one, obviously, is a medical module. My unit has several. Bunk modules, weapons maintenance, mission prep, that kind of thing. We've cleared out a bunk module for you, so you'll have private quarters. She shook her head. Absolutely not. I can't put your men out. He held up a hand to stop her. Normally you'd get a stateroom but we're restricted to the hold in hopes of providing some separation between us and the crew. You mean between the crew and anyone who had contact with me, Clarence and Dr. Feely. Klima shrugged. Tomato, tomato. We're in this together now. At any rate, the decision has been made. If you don't sleep in the bunk room, it will sit empty. Thank you, Commander. At least I know chivalry isn't dead. His expression changed. For the first time, he looked uncomfortable. There's one more thing. Her eyes shot to his hip, to the holster there and the pistol in it. She hadn't given it a second thought until now. You have to test me, right? Klimas reached into a pocket of his fatigues and pulled out three white boxes. The numbers surprised her. Three? He nodded. One for you. One for Levinson, then one for me. All my men are testing every three hours. If you don't mind, I'd like you to go first. He offered her one of the white boxes. She stared at it. There was only one door into the mission module. By standing between the beds, Klimas had blocked the only way out. If she tested positive, he would kill her. But if she did see that red light, did she really want to live? She reached out and took the box. Let's get this over with. Seconds later, she stared at the blinking yellow light, slowing, slowing, green. Klimas smiled. Only 23 more or so to go, right? She ran through the math in her head. Yeah, three days ought to do it. We'll know by then. Margaret sagged back into the bed. She still felt exhausted. The unexpected moment of intense fight-or-flight response hadn't helped. Klimas opened another box, cleaned Levinson's finger, then pressed the tester against it. Yellow, 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 green. Two down, he said. My turn. Maybe you should give me the gun. He opened his testing unit. Don't worry about that. If we see red, I step out that door and everything will be taken care of. Yellow. 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 Green. He gathered the boxes and testing units like nothing unusual had just happened. Like he was cleaning up after a late lunch. Margaret, you still look pretty beat. If you'd like to move to your bunk module, you could get more sleep. He held up another white box. This one full of small, circular band-aids. She nodded. Yeah, I'd like to get out of here. She removed the IV, wiped up the drop of blood, and applied one of the bandages. Lead the way, Polyus. He opened the door for her. She stepped out onto the deck. She was in some kind of a cargo hold, much smaller than what she'd seen on the Brashear. Other mission modules were lined up end-to-end along the hold wall. Margaret noticed a seal standing about 15 feet from the door she'd just walked out of. A young man, black. The name on his left breast read Bosch. He had a gun strapped to his chest, barrel angling down. She'd seen that weapon before, recognized it, an MP5. He had both hands on the weapon. Bosch must have been the one who would have taken care of everything if Klimas had tested positive. Margaret? Klimas said. This way, please. She followed him toward a module. From the outside, they all looked the same. She cast a glance over her shoulder. Bosch was following, hands still on his weapon. Margaret suddenly hoped the testing units were as accurate as Tim claimed. If her next test mistakenly returned a false positive, she might not have time to ask for a second chance. Klimas held a door open for her. As Margaret stepped in, She saw Bosch take up position outside the module. Inside were two sets of stacked bunks, gray blankets wrapped so tightly around the mattresses you could bounce a quarter off them. Take your pick. I'll have that sandwich brought right out. Someone will check on you for your next test. Until then, I'll ask that you stay in here. She nodded. He left, closed the door behind him. Margaret sat on the first bunk. It seemed to pull her in, drag her down. With a U.S. Navy SEAL ready to execute her standing right outside, she fell asleep almost instantly. Chapter 53 Pay the Man It is necessary, Bopin said. We'll take them one at a time. Steve Stanton could barely breathe. His head throbbed. He was already responsible for killing one man, at least. And now Bopin wanted to murder three more? No, Steve said. I won't be a part of this. Bopin's eyes narrowed. As always, the two of them were alone in the tiny stateroom. Bopin stood in front of the closed door. If Steve tried to force his way past, would he make it? Would the old man shoot him down? Steve, you have done your nation a great service. But our work is not over yet. Steve tried to speak with volume, with intensity, but his throat hurt, felt painfully scratchy. All that came out of his mouth was a cracking whisper, the voice of a boy rather than that of a man. We don't have to kill them. They have no idea what's going on. Just give them their money and they'll leave. Bopin's nostrils flared. He drew a breath ready to give a lecture. Steve spoke first. If you kill them, I'll tell! The words sounded petulant, childish, but it was all he could think to say. Bopan's head tilted forward until he stared out from under his bushy eyebrows. The footage from the platypus replayed over and over again in Steve's thoughts. Not the low-res pictures taken every twenty seconds, but the full-speed, high-def footage stored on the machine's internal drives. The dark footage of the man entering the Los Angeles' nose cone, light beaming from a bulky suit that looked like it belonged to a fat astronaut. The look of surprise on the diver's face as the platypus shot in, cut the umbilical cord, and then snatched the small black container. A brief instant of that expression shifting to horror as the snake curled around his bulbous helmet. Steve hadn't seen anything else, because the platypus was already slithering quietly through the wreck leaving the diver behind to die in an explosion of C4 that likely blew the sub's nose cone wide open. That diver's blood was on Steve's hands. He would thought only of himself. He'd programmed what Beau Pan told him to program, because he just wanted to go home. Beau Pan wanted more death. Steve would not allow that to happen, even if saying no meant dying himself. Steve sat very still, Wondering if he'd die right in this very room, among empty cans of Coke and crinkly bags of Doritos. And then Bopan's face softened. The old man relaxed. He let out a sigh. Ah, as you wish. We would not have achieved this without you, Steve. We will pay them. Then we go on our way. Steve blinked. You mean it? Again, the words of a child. He was in the middle of an international incident, had just defeated the U.S. Navy, was trying to stop the murder of three innocent men, and he sounded like a boy whose mother had just promised him a new toy. beau nodded. Yes. You are right. It would just cause too many problems. They don't know what is going on, so it is not worth the risk. We will dock and I will leave which brought up another problem. Steve wanted to be as far away from Pan as possible. Am I supposed to go with you? No. You will return to your parents. Steve was going home. In a day, maybe a little more, he'd be sitting at the restaurant, eating his father's cooking. Could it be true? Pan smiled a grandfather's smile. I am sorry you can't come with me right now. Soon enough, however, you will be welcomed in China as a hero. The old man thought Steve still wanted glory, when all Steve wanted to do was hide and forget this had ever happened. Okay, Steve said. I understand. Pan took out his cell phone. He awkwardly typed in a message, one slow thumb at a time. He sent the message, yawned, then put the phone away. I have arranged a transportation. Four men will be waiting for us when we arrive at the dock to help us with the platypus. A truck will take you and your machine back to Benton Harbor. Four men? The platypus wasn't that heavy. Steve and Beau Pan could move it on their own, crate and all, and had done so many times. Pan rubbed his face. He sat on his bunk, laid his head on the pillow. I am going to sleep. Don't make noise. The old man started snoring almost immediately. Steve tried to stay calm. He felt a fever coming on, but he didn't have time to get sick. He was probably safe. Probably. Pan still needed him. Just because they'd found one alien artifact didn't mean there weren't more on the bottom of Lake Michigan, and only Steve and his platypus could recover those artifacts if they were discovered. But Beau Pan didn't need Cooper, Jeff, or Jose. Steve stared at Beau Pan for a few minutes, made sure the man was actually asleep. Then he sat down at his little table. His fingers started working the laptop's keys. Quietly. So quietly. The storm outside was finally dying down. They would be in Chicago in a few hours. He had to act fast.
0: You have been listening to Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy by number one New York Times best-selling novelist Scott Sigler.